As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. With home security, there's two ways you can go about protecting your home. Way number one, you wait weeks for a technician to do a messy installation that costs you a small fortune. Well, there's the other way, simply safe. Simply safe, and that's simply with an I instead of a Y. It's everything that you need in a home security system. Lasers, sharks, none of that stuff. But award-winning protection? Yes. Two-time winner of the CNET Editor's Choice Award. Simply Safe blankets your whole home in safety. You get comprehensive protection for your entire home. Outdoor cameras, doorbells to alert you to anybody approaching your home. Entry, motion and glass break sensors guard inside. You barely notice it's even there. But you know what the real crazy part is? You can set this system up all by yourself. Literally anybody can do it. It takes 30 minutes to an hour tops, and there's absolutely no trade-offs to your safety. You'll have an army of highly trained security experts ready to dispatch police to your home in a moment's notice, 24-7. It's only 50 cents a day with no contracts. It's why The Verge calls Simply Safe, and I quote, the best home security system. No need for any exposition there. Just when you're the best, you're the best. We don't need to talk about second best or third best. When you got the best. So do yourself a favor and get the best. Go to simplysafe.com slash team today, and you'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. You've got nothing to lose. Go now and be sure you go to simplysafe.com, S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E.com slash team. generally considered to be a wasteland induced by a microbial worm. We find ourselves amidst multiple firestorms of political controversy in the sports world. In this episode, we will plumb the recesses of manifold perspectives in an effort to divine fact, fiction, and truth. Welcome to the Steelers Outpost Podcast, a proud member of the Armchair All-Americans Network. It is April 12th, 2020. Happy Easter, everybody. This is Tom coming to you from the Sawdust Studios at the Washington, D.C. Outpost, and Nick joins me from the Houston Outpost. Happy Easter to you, Nicholas. Thank you. Happy Easter to you. We actually got some sunshine here after like a week straight of a quarantine gray. Did you guys get anything decent on that side? Up until today, we did, and now we have quarantine gray. Yeah, usually weather is is completely useless uh, conversation, right? But in this case, when you're trapped in a literal glass case of emotion, it kind of plays a bigger factor than it would. But luckily, Easter's not the only news. We got a ton of news from uh, quotes from current Steelers, front office Steelers, former Steelers, super former Steelers, and everything in between. So I'm glad we have a packed show today. And we have comments, Steeler podcast hosts. And Steeler yeah, podcast em. listeners, and please, please set That's us right. up on Twitter. You know, remember the shareholders all that stuff. So even. Kevin Colbert has an interesting idea, and he's offered a proposal that they expand the draft by an additional three rounds to bring a total of ten rounds. I have absolutely no dog in that fight. 
I just would like to talk a little bit about what you think the is the advantage would be to having that. Well, uh, it comes with a caveat. He's not. He's only proposing that because the draft has been confirmed that it's going to be a virtual draft this year. So the coaches and front office, they don't get to go to pro days. They don't get to visit the players. They don't get to see them in person. And as we know, we've talked about this during Steelers draft season a number of times, the Steelers being at a player's pro day is like a necessary factor, at least for the first-round pick. And I guess for this year, they'll treat their second round like the first-round pick. So that's a big disadvantage to coaching staffs and scouting staffs. So I guess that they're just trying to say, like, hey, you know, it might be a little bit more of a crapshoot this year in who we're picking. Of course, you're assuming most teams are going to be prepared, but... You know, not getting to see these players in person is an issue. So maybe throw us a bone here and give us a couple more picks. Now, I don't know what the advantage of getting picks. I would assume it's like, hey, you don't have to go through the mad rush of of finding uh, street free agents and signing them or seeing which teams they pick. You actually get to go grab guys yourself. But, yeah, the reason why he wants the three extra rounds is because of – uh, the inability to have draft in person, the inability to visit players, and be a lot of people or anti-Steelers people on Twitter also point out because the Steelers have four draft picks or whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't understand it. I still don't understand how, you know, these. so the guys who aren't picked up in the draft are available, so they're free agents, right? Is there going to be a frenzy to get the guys who would be in rounds 8, 9, and 10? And this sort of just adds some uh, some framework to what is otherwise sort of a chaotic chasing chasing these guys. I guess that it's just like yeah, if people are trying out. They get a, you can get offer from a few different teams to try out for them if you didn't get drafted, and it's really up to you who you pick. Well, the Steelers, I guess they would like to not have that choice for some people. They would like to be able to actually snag some of these late-round prospects who don't get drafted. They would like to pick who they get to bring in instead of having to compete with other teams and other teams' situations, other teams' depth situations. Like, let's say a guy gets a... A quarterback gets a choice to go to either the Steelers or the Bengals. You know, if, let's say, Andy Dalton leaves. And like, oh, man, there's a chance where I could be... Work my way up to be Joe Burrow's backup. In mediocrity, so but what but I the, what I sense is the the NFL corporate noose tightening even further around the working man, taking away getting more right. choices that they might have had. Yeah, first we're quarantined. Now we don't get a trial for the teams that we want to. Yeah, you, you basically have no choice. You know, you're already uh, you're outside the draft, so you, you didn't win that lottery. At least as a free agent, you have some you have some choices to make. Now you won't. Yeah. Right. So, well, they didn't approve this or anything. He just he suggested it. I don't know yeah, if it's approved. Uh, just another drip, drip, drip in the anti-libertarian corporate world of the NFL. Sorry. It really I'm no is. communist. I'm more right. free market. But I was going to say, I mean, if, if, if you're pointing that out, then that, it really does say. I mean, I know Florio always says that the draft is the most un-American thing that you can possibly have. The kids should be able to choose their teams. I, think that, I mean, Mike Florio, people get... I'm trying to think of like a politically correct way to say this, but I don't have one. But people get very flustered, let's say, by some of his takes. And some of his takes he just makes for the sake of conversation because he ha- he's a former lawyer who has a great way of explaining himself and a way of explaining that, you know, these players coming in, they get 
screwed by having to go to certain teams. And like we know, if you go to a particular team and the system isn't around you, you might not have a chance to become a good professional. And it's good when you see star prospects like a Joe Burrow or something say, I'm not throwing at the combine. I don't have to go there. Like the only reason why you want me at the combine is for your ratings on television, for the combine. Everybody knows I'm the number one pick. There's no reason to me, for me to go. And Florio likes it, and I like it, when uh, players in that position exercise their rights. But that's only the very, very top of the barrel who have the ability to do that, right? Now, I think that you're right. That's the, <laughs> what you, what'd you call it? The, the corporate noose of the NFL tightening around the libertarian... Um, that's my libertarian sentiment. It's t- tightening the the noose around the the working man. Right, right. It is right. Although I don't think that it'll get approved. Simply, even if just for one reason, that all of the old guys, including Robert Goodell, who are going to be running this virtual draft, are probably so intimidated by the technology that Zoom is going to crash, or they don't know how that they got muted, or they don't know. You know, <laughs> that their son is actually on Fortnite streaming and talking to other dudes across the country, old 80-year-olds that he's playing Fortnite against. And they're like, good God, if we had three more rounds to this thing, the chance of this just collapsing on us and us getting memed to the end of our lives is, is inevitable. I smell a really good Instagram post coming up this week. That's true. Hey, look, Florio's right. The- the NFL's, the fact that it has a draft and a salary cap is absolutely anti-American. If you had a salary cap and just competed, you know, you, no team, it couldn't be like the Yankees. You couldn't just load up on every good player because you only have so much money and you've got to distribute it in a way. Let's face it, this draft is totally right. uh, handicaps the other side of this equation, the players. And you have these draft, you have right. draft salaries already predefined. There's no, I mean, there's some negotiating, as you pointed out. Some of the guys at the top might be able to negotiate a little bit. But um, who was it? Sam Bradford was the last sweepstakes winner, uh, college quarterback coming out before they put a cap With the on. Major, yeah, I think Is so, he the yeah. last guy? It's like $63 million at the time, over five? Something some like re- that, yeah. Relative, and the guy who was after that, I forget who was drafted first it's the year been after a while. that. It was, Let's just say that. But, yeah, it's been. Yeah, why not? Years. Let them spend all their money. All right. Okay, so do you think – well, no, hold up. This is good. Do you think that – I mean, I agree. It's like you can – it's almost semantics. You could say it's un-American. I do agree that it's – it hamstrings the players in a lot of ways, Um, blatantly. I mean, not just a lot of ways. It straight up hamstrings them. You don't get to choose who you want to work for. And what if you get drafted by the Bengals or the Browns or Washington and you're playing for a dysfunctional franchise? I get that. But at the same time, I – like, even if you have the salary cap, I don't think that player should be able to choose where they go. That's ridiculous. I mean, you know there are certain superstar players in the draft who are going to be great rookies, and you totally could have the Yankees. Because unless you do one-year contracts, because if Chase Young and Joe Burrow decide, oh, there's some openings in New England, let's go there. Hey, Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy. All the receivers are gone out of New England. Let's go be the new Patriots. And all of them are going to have rookie salaries, so they're going to be affordable, right? And then you get them for four years. So that would be a massive, unbelievable, huge advantage for teams. And I do think you would have, like, Yankees-type teams. Although maybe 
for Steelers fans, maybe that's a good thing because we might be one of those teams. I'm not suggesting that you maintain the, the salary framework. I'm saying the one thing you can retain is a f- full team salary cap, $212 million, let's say. Now you've got to work with it. There is no cap on what you can pay a rookie. There's no cap on what you could pay a veteran. There's no cap. There's no. You could have one-year contracts. It's up to you, and it's a free for all. And, and you got to sign as many guys as. Gotcha. In my right, hypothetical, right. Right. you have to sign as many guys with 212 million dollars as you can get. And you know, if you want to spend it all, blow it all on a rookie quarterback, great, Joe Burrow. But you have all, You know, you've got 22 guys you have to put on the field and, and be competitive. I think what would happen is. Not much different than today. It would just give the players some latitude. Well, you wouldn't see a Miami Heat situation with LeBron. That that couldn't happen because you can't sign that many guys with that with a price tag like those guys got. Well, they have salary caps in the NBA too, and those guys found a way to circumnavigate that by taking less so that they could join forces. And I think that yeah, it, it feels weird almost because we speak so almost exclusively for the rights of players, and we try to. But as a football fan, I'm not interested in that. I'm sorry, people are going to figure out how to game that system. These you know these teams are going to figure out how to be able to load up on guys. These players are already becoming finicky enough as it is, and some of that is good. You know, in the Le'Veon Bell case, I know we're all angry at him, and I don't think that it it played out perfectly. But he's a guy who I can't blame. Like he was getting screwed. He should have. He definitely deserved a long term contract. Yeah, he wanted more than maybe he was worth. The Steelers offered him a very fair amount, but. He was trapped by the franchise tag when he should have been able to go explore the market. I get that. We need player rights. But what you have in the NBA, I just don't think that you can make the NFL more competitive than it already is. It's so competitive. It's such a good system where teams – there's teams who are really well run where you can stay at the top and you'll never see another Patriots again. But overall, teams go up, teams go down. The Eagles make it to the Super Bowl and win with the backup quarterback. When you – get a league like the NBA where the players have all the power and they move to teams the instant something goes wrong Kyrie Irving cries says that the earth is flat and then goes to another team and then gets injured again but either way in the NBA there's maybe three to five teams who have even a remote shot at winning the championship every year and 80% of that league is completely irrelevant whereas in the NFL every single year you get fourth place teams that end up making it to the to the final eight or the final four and I think the system is really good in terms of competitiveness, giving teams higher draft picks when they're not as good. And I just think that messing with that system is going to make would make the NFL less competitive. I don't think it'll happen like the NBA. But it is the, an American. The M- yeah, so the NBA and the NBA has a flexible cap. People that teams can just pay penalties to, to exceed it. And the shelf life of a, a basketball player is much longer than a football player. That's one of the problems. These guys have to make their money in a short window. So that, that's where I sort of, I, I don't know what it will do for competition. My guess is there will be has and have nots from a team standpoint because some teams are smarter than other teams. This will, ha- this will cause the GMs and the coaches to have to work that much harder to attract and to retain talent and also to balance their payroll. Right now, you know what they do? It's paint by numbers. Your first, your first round pick's going to get this much money. Your seven-year veteran's going to get that much money. There's, you know, you have a capologist. They have a guy who's a capologist, right? It is, it is child's play to run that that spreadsheet. 
I think that to the compare implication to, compared to I'm sorry, compared to if you had a system where you had this is what you have to spend. I think that in the hypothetical that you're presenting here, which we're spending a funny amount of time on, but it is a f- really fun discussion. In the the model that you're pitching right now, there's obviously going to be exponentially more player movement and players changing teams. And we don't take that old head sort of meathead fan approach of saying, you know, players shouldn't be able to ch- change teams like they used to. But we can also agree that rivalries lessen now that players are moving around more. And that Steelers-Ravens rivalry, you're not going to have that ever again. They last for like four years at a time. The The closest thing that ever came to Steelers-Ravens, which is like a 15, 20-year bloodbath, was when everybody thought Seahawks-Niners was going to be a rivalry like that, which lasted three or four years. And then the both teams, particularly the Niners, were exploded. They didn't have anybody from that team at all. So now you can say, like, oh, the rivals, like, no, but nobody, they don't even know each other on those two teams. Actually, some of them already played for the other team. But, um, yeah, so I, I don't like player movement on a large scale like that. I want player rights, but ter- in terms of a fan who likes competition, I would need to find another way to make that happen. Uh, in some of the ways we've outlined before with some of the extra un-American things, like the franchise tag being taken away, but your model makes a less competitive NFL. It makes the rivalries essentially go away because it's not like college where you care about your school and like there's this crazy rah-rah attitude. Those like Raven Steelers, even right now, Raven Steelers doesn't feel like a real rivalry. None of these guys are veteran. It's like, well, Ben's there and Ben's sitting there like, where's Suggs? Thank God he's not here. But that, that's all that's going to happen is it's going to uh, it's going to decommoditize competition, sir. You do not want to raise the lid on the NCAA can of worms. Oh, it's on our list to talk about later, which we will. Let's do this. Let's agree to put our swords down because we're not done with this conversation. We'll put a pin in it. Ben's doing some interviews. He's got no, nothing to do but homeschool those children, and during his breaks, he does interviews. Yeah, he's talking now. He's trying to, if he doesn't work out the jaw muscles, the beard will actually overtake his entire body. So I guess he's actually (laughs) putting some knowledge out there. I guess he said on a recent interview, they were asking him about, ah, damn, I forgot where it was at. I don't know if you can find that real quick so we can give them attribution here. Well, he's he's done one on Monday with the Athletic, and then he, did he have 93.7? Go ahead, I'm looking while you talk. Well, regardless, he did say that uh, when asked about the Steelers' draft plans, he kind of took a stance saying that he thinks that the Steelers will go offense because they focused on defense so high in the draft for the past few years. And he said it's been awesome to watch that defense grow and improve, and now we've got this uh, sort of formidable defense, and I really think they'll go offense. And I find that to be a really interesting comment from him because – we can take this in a lot of different ways. Number one, is he right? Like, if he has no control over the team uh, in terms of influencing who they draft, would he be right? We, we don't know. We've outlined uh, at length that the Steelers could really go any position, although we've sort of focused more on, it seems like, safety linebacker, and linebacker inside or outside kind of seem like the priority at this point, especially now that um, – uh, Ebron was signed, but could they go receiver or running back? Of course, but I don't. I, I think it's a total 
coin flip at this point. I think it's a little funky to go running back in the second in this day and age. But um, so that's one thing. It's like, is he right? But then number two, there's always that sneaking, wondering feeling of, hey, if Ben says this, does he know something? And does he have some sort of influence with the team where he said, hey, we need to get our offense working. We need to get a lineman or another weapon on offense. Or maybe is it not even him, but maybe Tomlin or Colbert told him something. Ben absolutely knows what's going on. That's yes. why Randy's still the offensive coordinator, and they took the mm-hmm. quarterback coordinator job away from him. Uh-huh. That's and a lot of the mock drafts, which mean hasn't nothing. Been cut. <laughs> <laughs> Switzer hasn't been cut. As a matter of fact, he's the only guy allowed at Ben's house. Uh, yeah. I mean, the quarterback definitely has a say over the team when you're, at this point in your career, an absolute legend of sport and, honestly, an asset towards team strategy. I mean, the guy knows the game, but yeah, on offense, but, um, well, he knows a thing or two about carving defenses into little tiny pieces, but yeah, I don't think that they give, I'd be absolutely shocked if they, I mean, actually, I'm going to tell you right now, Ben doesn't tell the team who to draft. That is not how the Steelers work. I know that he talks with the team on, you know, what he would like to get in there. And I think that him and Tomlin generally share uh, similar views that way and Colbert. But um, I don't know. Could he go in there and be like, I have two years left. I need another receiver. I mean, the Steelers are have a nice, sneaky, cool receiving core, but could they use another one? Yeah. The, the running backs, you know how we feel about that. It's, it's just interesting. I don't, know, um, I don't know if I can – I mean, I definitely don't co-sign the idea that they're 100% going offense in the, in the second round. It really feels like a coin flip to me, depending on the best player available. They have some flexibility that way. It's a fool's errand. All these mocks, yeah. I keep saying it. They're, they're just, it's interesting to see what people think uh, the draft are going to be based on these mocks, but it's just a fool's errand. Yeah, we'll have to just wait and see if Colbert says anything else about the class and go from there. But interesting that Ben has been talking a little bit more as of late. So the wind shifted. Terry Bradshaw, in an interview with 93.7 The Fan, that's where I think I got the thing about Ben, Right. said that um, despite the number of Super Bowls he's won, he thinks Big Ben is the greatest passer to wear the black and gold. I think Terry, surprisingly, has been giving some incredibly insightful interviews recently. Not just with that, but he had one where he talked about Tom Brady earlier in the past few days, where he also said that he doesn't think Tom Brady is the greatest, like the best quarterback of all time. And, and he expressed himself eloquently so let me let me jump to the Brady one real quick just because I'm saying that because it goes with the same sort of thing as the Ben one where sometimes I used to hear Bra- or, uh, Bradshaw and Ben just try and make that meathead Super Bowl blanket argument of like well the guy's got the Super Bowl so he's the best and I used to think that Terry would say that it's only based on Super Bowls because obviously that would make him you know second or third best quarterback ever right and Ben same thing because he talked so much about it's all about winning for the first half of his career because in the first half of Ben's career, he didn't have great stats. He had fine stats, but he was a winner. So I think that he used to focus on the Super Bowl thing a lot to kind of give himself more credit that way. And then halfway through his career, he turned into the Peyton Manning type of guy who dominated his first half of the league where he's able to you know put up huge numbers and, and carry the team on his back. But when Terry talked about Ter- uh, Brady, it's the same – 
you know, he said, of course, he has the most Super Bowls, so if you want to call him the greatest from that standpoint, he is. But is he more talented than guys like Dan Marino or Dan Fouts? Like, no, I don't think he is. Is he more talented? Is he better just at playing the position of quarterback as those guys? Like, no, you can't definitively say that. Maybe he is, but, you know, so much of winning those Super Bowls is about – and it doesn't take anything away from Tom, but – Patrick Mahomes didn't win the Super Bowl two years ago, and he was clearly the best quarterback in the league by 100 miles. And Brady won it, handing the ball off 30 times a game to a defense. So Brady ma- or Terry made some just astute points regarding, like, this guy's one of the all-time greatest, but to say that he's de facto the best is a little crazy if you know anything about evaluating a quarterback and how they play without, you know, contextualizing how good the defense is or not. And then with Ben... And I I was surprised, but I guess, uh, yeah, he said sort of a similar thing. Like, it is funny because he noted Ben's numbers. He said, yeah, if you look at Ben's numbers, they blow mine out of the ballpark. Of course, we know that's totally irrelevant. The numbers are so different in these two eras. But, yeah, I'd say that, of course, we know that Ben, I don't know, we don't want to upset anybody out there because it's not taking anything away from Terry. But Ben has carried the team at different times. And Terry Bradshaw never... It's hard to say because it's like I feel like some people are so sensitive when you say that, oh, he had a great defense and Hall of Fame receivers and running back and uh, he didn't ever have to carry the team. People think that you don't realize that he was an NFL MVP one year and two of the four Super Bowls they won, he was the MVP putting up unbelievable performances, especially with his deep passing. So I actually think Terry Bradshaw is one of the most underrated quarterbacks ever and I think people – just sort of dismiss him because of the personality, you know, the farmhand personality and how good the defense was. And I think Ben will go down as one of the other most underrated quarterbacks ever because of the early career um, controversies and such like that. But yeah, Ben, the the team has run through Ben for a long time. And uh, I just thought that it was interesting and sort of humble of Terry to admit that. And you and I were talking about this, that like how much of Terry's, Shtick is a shtick, and how much of him is actually a, a smarter guy who knows more than he leads on? I recently watched the ESPN biopic, um, sorry, Football Life. I've always liked him, and, and nothing, you know, his Hell yeah, terrible criticisms job. of the Steelers never really bothered me. I mean, I always knew that the guy had, I mean, the guys had some psychological problems. I mean, yeah, documented, like real ones, and um, admitted, self admitted. So I thought a lot of this came from there. He, he was a total it was total oil and vinegar between him and Chuck Knoll, even though right. I'll say that when I said the wind shifted on this interview is very complimentary of Knoll, complimentary of Tomlin, sort of shifted gears on Tomlin. And okay, um, maybe he's I've doing always, drugs. Maybe I take it back. Here's the other here's the other thing, and I don't know how this compares because I don't know how many how many quarterbacks were calling their own plays in the seventies, but recall that Bradshaw was yeah. calling his own place. I, yeah, I that think makes the last these, one. That makes it, it – but were his um, contemporaries calling their own plays back then? I do not – I could be wrong, but I don't believe so because I read his biography when I was growing up and he made – many times he made the point that he was the last guy to call his own plays or, or one of the very last guys. So it makes comparing generations a non-starter. You can't do it. You could talk – I mean, you want to talk about arm strength? Well, we read that article the last week cannons. where Ben's – and they both had cannons, 
But uh, now that they have sensors in balls, like this is what Ben was saying last week. He's got these sensors in the ball where he was assessing his throwing, you know, sort of his own, on his own subjective reasoning. These sensors talk about how velocity of the ball, um, its spin rate, whether it's wobbling right. or not. That would te- that would be a good way to figure out whether quarterbacks are comparable, at least from an athletic standpoint. But then what you can't measure, or at least they haven't figured out how to do that now, is just the IQ. Like who right. knows who to throw to? How, how can you can you go through reads and a prog- you know sort of a progression? How quickly can you go through that and recognize defenses, et cetera? So I just think it's ironic that Bradshaw has this dumb hick reputation when he right. had to call his own plays, and maybe it was a lot less sophisticated back then. I don't know. Maybe there were like ten well, things was, that were basically still. to call, but still, right. yeah. And then you had to execute it on top of that. Yeah, and actually it's funny because they are really comparable. They both have absolute cannons. They both are were mobile quarterbacks. They weren't runners, but they were scramblers. They're both super tough, like two of the toughest quarter and, and the top ten toughest quarterbacks. You have you know Favre is in there, and Bradshaw and Ben are certainly in there. So it is interesting how many similarities they have, and. Obviously, Terry in the big games was was just absolutely incredible. And, you know, Ben didn't play well against the Seahawks in that first Super Bowl, but his playoff run was incredible that year. And then it was a little bit underwhelming against the Cardinals, but then he avenged it with the greatest, you know, ending to Super Bowl quarterback has ever had and ever will have. And then the, the, the Packers was a little bit up and down that way. But, yeah, there's a lot of similarities between them. Um, I do get very annoyed when Terry trashes the Steelers, when he doesn't go back to the Pittsburgh functions, when every other member of that team is, is attending, you know, Swan and Joe Green and Mel Blunt and everybody's there. It's like, come on, Terry, just straight up get over it, dude. Like, at a, at a certain point, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I even wish Troy would just get over it. Like, I know that sucks and they sort of screwed you, but... This is also about like your legacy, and the fa- and the fans don't feel that way about you, you know. And so celebrate it with your teammates and your boys who lo- who love you and know your real worth that way. So yeah, I get annoyed when Terry does that, but this is a step in the right direction because I don't think the the Steelers' success takes anything away from him. It is frustrating to sort of see both of the Steelers' Hall of Fame quarterbacks not get the credit that they deserve because. Yeah, I don't know. Can you say that Swan and Stallworth would have gone to the Hall of Fame without Terry? Like, I don't know. I mean, maybe Franco. Yeah, you're talking about a running back. I don't. I, I, but I don't know. That's. Um, but interesting that the 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 winds have shifted in that uh, sort of stance, and it's nice to see. Hopefully, he comes back one day. I felt my heartstrings being tugged at by two former Steelers this week. Indianapolis Colts have signed our ex fullback no. Rosie Nix. No. Happy that he landed. Happy that he landed. You know what I watched last night? Of course he landed. I watched, speaking of Roosevelt Knicks, I watched the Kent State versus Utah State Frisco Bowl. From what Don't year? ask me why. I think it was, was it this year? The So I went to Kent State my freshman year. Right. And I didn't realize that. It was um, James Harrison, Nick, right? Uh, slightly yeah. before his time. But, you know, there were there were a ton of. There were a ton of athletes out of, out of the Golden Flashes uh, network. Julian Edelman, Josh Cribs, uh, uh, James Harrison, Rosie Nix. The list goes on. I was and Rosie Nix was a DB. Right? Remember, he was a uh, DB back then in college. You're joking. Uh, D, uh, linebacker. 
Yeah. No. Okay. Linebacker. <laughs> like, oh, he's much quicker pounds. in college. <laughs> okay. Anyways, I derailed Sorry, but, you. But but the Colts the Colts actually had a very uh, potent running attack. They were ranked seventh. He's going to be running with Marlon Mack. I think he'll probably yeah. get some more gets more action on the field from the in Phillip the backfield Rivers? than he did with the Steelers. Yeah, it's just so sad. Maybe they'll end up meeting in the playoffs. You know, I was talking with P. Butch, cousin Pat, today, and we, maybe we should have him on next week, but. Uh, we were talking about the AFC contenders, and obvi- I, I do think that the Chiefs and the Ravens just sort of loom above everybody. But you know who's not up there? There's not a specter of Tom Brady and the New England Patriots in the way. And I think right beneath the Chiefs and the Ravens is a team who had a top-five defense last year and returns one of the greatest athletes in the history of organized sports. Everything hangs on the bionic elbow of Ben Roethlisberger, but I think that, yeah, the Steelers, after those top two teams, really are, are, have the, you know, the, the balance between offense and defense, the youth and, and star power. When you talk about they got three or four real superstar defensive players, they got some stars on offense, experienced quarterback, experienced coach, really good squad. And then after that, it kind of gets murky in the AFC. Like, the Browns have a ton of talent, but the Indianapolis Colts with Rosie Nix are probably another team that I think uh, is pretty balanced. You don't know how Phillip Rivers' elbow or arm in general is going to do, but, yeah, maybe the Steelers will end up meeting Rosie Nix. Oh, man, that that means Devin Bush might be meeting Rosie Nix in, a, in an A-gap sometime in, in late December, early January. That's I'm sad. just curious about this. Is it Jarrett Stidham? Jared Stidham. What's yeah, the they lo- th- so that's the quarterback him. for the Patriots. He went to Auburn. He had an amazing junior year and a terrible senior year, but they really lost a lot of talent his senior year. Uh, the Patriots love him. That's kind of widely documented. He had a phenomenal preseason last year, and I know that doesn't mean a ton, but honestly, the past few times I remember people having phenomenal preseasons was like uh, Dak Prescott had one his rookie year, and he ended up starting when Tony Romo hurt his back again. And, you know, you don't have to be a mega superstar to be a really good quarterback in New Orleans. I mean, even Garoppolo was looking real good over there. And, you know, so they do love Jared Stidham over there in New England, although I don't think they're banking the whole future on the guy. But either way, that we ended up talking about some more of the AFC when we were really starting with the depression of Rosie Nix being an Indianapolis Colt. Uh, the other hard string that was tugged is Eli Rogers. Spent a little time in the XF, XFL. Been posting on his Instagram. He wants back in. I want back in. I got please, a please. little annoyed last year when people were you know, begging to have uh, Eli Rogers on the team. I've always been an Eli Rogers fan. So have you. We've seen what he can do. He's, an, he's a very inconsistent player. Like, sometimes he'll have games where he's incredible. The first half of that Jaguars playoff game where he eventually actually tore his ACL at the end of the game. Like, what do you have, like six catches in the first half? You saw he had a great touchdown against the Patriots when they beat them. He had a great touchdown to beat the Bengals. Uh, The preseason, so his rookie year, he had a great training camp, and he then got hurt and missed the entire year. 
But then, if you remember, there was a lot of hype about him going into his second year because it was like, hey, there's this undrafted free agent guy, Eli Rogers, who made a lot of noise as a rookie, and we're really excited about him. And Ben was building him up. Everybody was building him up. And the Steelers played a preseason game against the Saints where they actually played the starters. And it was just – it was a thing of beauty because the first drive was, you know, Ben to Le'Veon, 10 yards. Uh, ben to Eli Rogers, 5 yards. Ben to Eli Rogers. Ben to Eli Rogers. And it really looked like – by, uh, from Todd Haley's comments, from Ben Roethlisberger's comments, from the other receivers' comments, and then from what we saw on that drive, which I believe ended with like a 40-yard touchdown pass to Antonio Brown, like they were making Eli a part of the offense. But whatever that may mean, he has never been able to do it consistently in Pittsburgh. So I thought Ryan Switzer in his first year was actually a very good player. I know a lot of people hate on him now because last year he was, he was so poop. I mean, he would just get the ball and get tackled immediately one yard past the line of scrimmage. Granted, the feet master wasn't using him very creatively. And you've made the point that, you know, when Ben comes in, he makes all the receivers better. But, you know, last year was between him and um, Eli Rogers. And I just thought that Switzer was a much better punt returner his the first year he was with the Steelers. And so they chose to go with, with Switzer. And I thought that it made sense. He played better than Eli Rogers the past. Well, I guess Rogers didn't really play, but... Either way, what I'm trying to say is that I didn't love when they released him, <clears throat> but I could understand it. Now, after another year of, 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 you know, the year Switzer had last year, I would love to see Eli Rogers at least back in camp and competing because he's a guy who we've seen can make big plays. Is it going to happen? I doubt it, but maybe. I don't know. What do you think? Because they, they, they need a fourth receiver. Well, I'm just asking myself whether, I mean, he can't replace Switzer because Ben is now ordained Switzer. But yeah. that was the argument at the time, right, between the two of them. Who would you take? Well, originally, I don't think, yeah, Ben didn't have the relationship with Switzer. And originally, I I was okay with taking Switzer because his first year punt returning for the Steelers was really good. I mean, he was like a 15 yards a return kind of guy. Uh, where the Steelers hadn't had that since, you know, A.B. Was, was returning punts. But now at this point, I would like to see them compete in training camp because I just Eli is so much faster and can make bigger plays. But, damn, bring them both back. Like, they, you know, I'd rather – well, who knows? I, I'd just like to see some competition in camp because Deion Kane did randomly very well for the Steelers last year. Now, I can't trust something like that because he's flamed out so many other places, but – it's hard to deny he got four targets, four catches, and, you know, 200 yards. <laughs> so, we'll be interesting. Speaking of former Steelers, our third of four, our fourth of four, Rashard Mendenhall's in the news for some reason. For his patented spin move? <laughs> Man, that guy did a lot of spin moves. It was, it might be like the best spin move I've ever seen outside of a Barry Sanders or someone like that, but... So I guess – I don't know if it's NFL Network or ESPN, but somebody's been replaying old NFL games. They replayed the glory, the glory of the Steelmen over the Cardinals. Ben Roethlisberger, Santonio Holmes, corner of the end zone. Tears flow from every, you know, patriotic eye in the country or the world. But then they replayed a game that the Steelers played in, you know, early February, late January against the Green Bay Packers in which Richard Mendenhall fumbled while the Steelers were mounting a comeback, you know, comeback that would have given them a seventh Lombardi. 
And he has taken a lot of crap from fans over the years as a result of this. But this poor bastard, I guess, doesn't realize that they're playing these games over again. People have nothing to do on quarantine. So a bunch of people watch Mendenhall fumble in that game, and I guess they start blowing him up on social media. And so he films a video in his backyard where uh, he makes it abundantly clear that he is a professional athlete, and anybody who he's about to critique is nowhere near the physicality of this man who's wearing tights, and no shirt with 16 abs in a mansion backyard showing that he's done all right. But he picked up his phone, and I kind of like what he did. He he basically said, like, everybody stop. I mean, there was a lot more explicit, uh, expletives than I'm going to use, but, like, everybody stop talking about this damn fumble. Like, if you think it means a lot to you, you have no idea how much it means to me. You didn't play professional football. You don't know anything. Come see me if you want to come see me that way. And, uh... I just felt bad for him because, of course, as a Steelers fan, there's a special little circle of fandom hell that he exists in for fumbling there. But he's not the only one who made mistakes there. You know, Ben threw a pick. I thought Arians called a pretty terrible game throwing bombs when Mendenhall himself was actually going for like six yards of carry. Um, Defense got carved up by essentially the greatest quarterback performance you can have. But um, either way... You do feel bad for the guy, that, like, because he's kind of made a big point, Rashard Mendenhall, of being past football. He retired a little bit early. He was a writer on that terrible show Ballers on HBO, and he's done like you know writing gigs and more artistic type of pursuits and endeavors. But at the end of the day, he still is a guy who cares about what freaking happened on the football field, and that was his passion. And I feel bad that there's scrubs trying to make this. Like, why would you send a tweet to him at this, at this point in his career, you know? Or Just even then. Mean. Like, yeah, imagine if that were you. No, it's, I've always felt it's unfortunate that guys who have a key, a foible at a key part of the game are often tagged with the loss when, let's face it, you just rattled through a number of factors that led to the to the loss. So, yeah. It, right. I, this, this, social, this is the... 90% horrible side of social media. In fact, you can just randomly and anonymously take out your hatred on somebody. And you're, he's right. Get back. Stay on your couch. But there is yeah. some, speaking of sad news, this is personally sad for me. The XFL has suspended operations with no reprise in sight. No Thank mention goodness. that they might resurrect in 2021. I was, I was so excited about that experiment, and I thought it was going well. I hated it. I thought it was going poorly. I don't want to watch minor league football. I just say, like, the one, the only minor league that has ever touched me. Well, let's let's say this. Let's say there's two. The original XFL, because I was, like, 11 years old, and they could body slam people, and you had Rod Smart, a.k.a. He Hate Me, and all that other kind of stuff, and it really did feel different. It felt like pro wrestling. Well, you can't get away with any of that crap now, so all you had was a really horrible league in which Landry Jones is a starting quarterback, so there's not a lot to go off from. So for me, the only league that I've ever really loved is the Arena League, because it was just, it's just so different from regular football that it actually offers some sort of watching value, because they're going to score 50 points, the game looks different with the skinny field goals, and they're indoors, and the cheerleaders have to wear helmets, and... Uh, there's, you know, what it was like six on six or something like that, seven on seven. I don't remember. It's just like a sort of different type of game. And I think that's really the angle for minor league football is like do something different. I would love it if they did something, if they did it during football season. 
on like Tuesdays or Wednesdays, so we could have like football calendars where you get, uh, you know, you get Monday, you get Sundays for the big boys, you get Monday night football game, you get a Tuesday. Let's just call it like the barge league. They should just play on a barge or something since the arena league's dead. Maybe a Wednesday barge league game, Thursday night football, Friday night college, Saturday college, and back to the big boys on Sunday. You're going to find, if you haven't already, and it sounds like you haven't, that there is no way you're going to be able to spend that much time in front of your screen. I like the XFL because it was in the offseason. It wasn't great football, but A, it it was the Petri dish. It was it, it allowed experiments to happen that the NFL probably wouldn't bite off on their own if they hadn't mm. seen it in action. And a lot, you know, you know, there are a lot of fringe players who are bubbling to practice teams who could stay in shape and stay on the radar screen for future teams. So again, I'm for the little guy, Nick. Those are good points. Let's turn our attention to the political maelstrom that is Mike Gundy of Oklahoma State and I'm what he so created glad. this past week. Yeah, I'm so glad he did this. He actually apologized. Uh, I saw an article this morning, but Either way, if anybody hasn't heard, Mike Gundy, who is an adult male with a mullet, so that should put him on my good list because I've been bringing him back for the past few years, but I haven't gone with the aggressive one that this guy does when you couple it with a visor, essentially. But, yeah, this sort of shows you that some of the stereotypes about football coaches are kind of eerily true, and it, it really makes you wonder what goes on beyond closed doors because last week, I think like April 7th or something, he gave – an interview regarding, you know, what's going on, uh, what's going on with COVID. He gave it from his house, no handlers around. This is probably the issue that he was comfortable, probably drinking Natty Light, combing the mullet, got a couple too many in him, started talking like an idiot. First refused to, or referred to uh, COVID as the Chinese virus initially. And Which it what, is. Oh, oh, wow. No, we don't endorse that. And um, <laughs> and then said that these players are 18, 19, 20, 21. Hell, they're even 22 years old. They can fight off the virus. They're young. Their bodies can fight off the virus. And we need to run money through the state of Oklahoma. And if you translate that, the actual meaning, and I think we mentioned this last week a little bit, the actual meaning is... We need to exploit these kids so we can make some damn money. And he since walked the comments back because they're so dumb. But I I just think it's funny. It's like I remember a couple years ago the social conversation was should we pay college players? And in my opinion now, that's not even the conversation. It's how should we pay them? Because I think that uh, people get triggered by this issue Right, not to use just an overly trendy saying with trigger there, but that that is really what it is. You say like the athletes should get paid, people say, "Oh, oh, they're getting a free education." No, you dumbass, they're not getting a free education. Do you know anything about Power Five football? You do you know how much time they spend on football versus how much time they spend in the classroom? And if they don't spend that time on, on they sure as hell don't have time to actually learning anything in school. Secondly, a lot of these guys who we're talking about, who I think should get put paid actually have the prospect of becoming a professional football player which is a profession and so it's okay that they're pursuing these things now i don't think that it like oh we should pay college players i'm not saying players at lehigh should get paid 
I'm saying they need to find some sort of way to pay the players who actually are truly making people rich at their schools, like the Nick Sabins of the world and the Mike Gundys of the world and some of these teams that actually are bringing in meaningful dollars, right, that way. Now, I don't know how you would do that, but that's just – it just seems so funny that this guy is like – yeah, we need to make some more money off these kids, like, right now. Well, it's funny because there was an article in the Washington Post today. Let me get the title. It, uh, oh, dis- Disruption to football season would be very bad <laughs> for all these colleges. And obviously, there are a lot of jobs riding on having a football season. And while some some teams have been laying people off, I was just reading this article, so I, I, Iowa State has given everybody a 10% pay cut, you know, and they're not far from laying people off. Right. They simply don't have the revenue coming in. I did a little I did a little crawl down the rabbit hole of these NFL budget or I'm sorry, NCAA budgets. You know, it's true. It's it will crush it will crush any not only football, but all the non-revenue sports. Right. Sure. And now the, the thing you're going to unearth is it's very interesting to see the sources of money. You've got ticket sales, you have sponsorships, and but it's for some of these schools, over half the money is coming from uh, basically your seat licenses, whatever the you know the the um, contributions from the alumni to get their good seats, and not a in some schools not an insignificant mm-hmm. insignificant amount from student fees. Right. So yeah. So it, it's interesting. Go, go I guess on. my point. My point is this will um, his Gundy's points aside. I mean, this is going to be a big blow. Now, is it going to hurt the schools themselves, or is it just going to hurt the athletic programs? I don't know. Looks like it's you know the there wouldn't be as much collateral damage. Actually, students won't have to pay these fees if there's no sports. But otherwise, you're going to crush sports, and a lot of those kids are at school because they're on scholarship. Right, and especially in a place like if you're talking about like Austin, Texas, or you know Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, where you know that's the biggest game in town is these college teams. I mean, that's a big part of just the the town's you know revenue it brings money into into the city, and it just like you said gives jobs and everything like that. And I just I think that that again with the paying the college players thing, it's such a hilarious hilarious. Um, Discussion that like nobody wants to bring up the side with them. Well, then why do we pay the coaches so much? Well, because they need to make a uh, a living. Well, then why don't you pay them? You know, something where they can make a living and not get rich. Because you know what they get? They get the satisfaction of bringing young men into the adult working world. Well, that doesn't count. Well, why not? Well, I have no reason for that, and I'm a mouth breather. Okay, I fail to see how that answers the question that I posed. Tom Brady's best quarterback ever. Could throw the ball 600 yards with his left hand. Again, that that has absolutely nothing to do with what I was just asking you. Have you noticed the this movement among the states? I think California's the first one to pass a law. Right. I don't know if it permits or it requires. I think it permits college athletes to be paid, and a couple of states have followed that. So I, I think those that, that building's starting to tumble. Yeah, as it should. And again, I'm just a moron yelling about it for semi-entertainment value. I don't actually know how you would create the system to decide which players to play to pay, which, um, you know, how much to pay them, so on and so forth. Like, should the 
six string quarterback at Alabama being getting like should he be paid anything like uh, I don't know man like probably not he's not really bringing in money that's just all I'm trying to focus on is where it's like people are able to profit off of these kids and then but especially the like the easiest way to go about that is the commercial band type thing or, or using their likeness if a kid wants to make any, any other kid in any other department wants to get paid by let's say some Hollywood company is making a commercial for Hershey like you can go make money off of that if you're a biology major, like why can't you make money off of, you know, if you're if you're a football player? So, either ways. But I just thought that the Mike Gundy thing is pretty hilarious for the COVID talk section of our podcast. Also, just because he has a mullet and he wears a visor, and he's out there calling it the Chinese flu, and that people are 18 to 22 and they can fight it off with a baseball bat. I think he was implying. Well. Sorry if this is stepping on the politically incorrect ice, but it did come from China, and China is well known for giving us the gift of previous pandemics, or at least epidemics, <laughs> avian flu, SARS, without warning. So sorry about that, but um, we can agree to disagree on that point. Well, well we're, we're half joking around with it, and it is true. You know, there is uh, some unfortunate details about uh, them lying about, you know, the actual spread or what the actual numbers are. There is in... Um, uh, what's oh my gosh! I'm just totally blanking on the ma- on the ground zero city. Um, Wuhan, Wuhan. Uh, you know their officials are trying to say like, oh, there's this many people dying per day, but the actual citizens are coming out and saying we're having funeral homes like uh, working twenty four seven, like digging mass graves for people. This isn't the actual number, but just the the overall fact is that sort of calling it the Chinese flu sort of seems like it would imply that all Chinese people are, are guilty of this. Well, sure, it might it came from that part of the world, but just the, uh, you know, politically correct gets too insane these days, but I understand how that could upset some people, especially with the crazy violence that's being done to Asians. In, Tex- in Texas, actually just last week, a family of, I don't even know if they were ended up being Chinese, but a family of Asian people got stabbed to death in a parking lot by a guy who said that he was trying to protect uh, people really? from the Asian... Yes, 100%. How including do we protect two-year-old. people from stupid yeah. people? Well... Yeah, exactly. All right, well, look, so maybe not I Chinese I can see virus. why we want to avoid that. Uh, Communist agree, China. The Communist China. I'm changing the name in our notes. Communist China. That's who we blame. So another yeah, outcome Yeah, not the, not the people. Maybe some of the, the corrupt uh, leaders or something. So Major League Baseball, there's a proposal on the table to launch the season using spring training sites in the Diamondbacks home stadium, Chase Field. And players and coaches would live in relative isolation and travel to and from the ballparks individually each day and hold games without, uh, without fans there. What do you think about that? It brings up a great philo- uh, philosophical saying, which, of course, was coined by Plato. No, no, Socrates. Uh, if a tree falls in the woods and no one's there to see it fall down, did it make a sound? And if the baseball players put the little baseball game with nobody to see it live, you know, does it matter? My answer is, yeah, just play it. We need something to watch on TV, even if it's baseball, for the love of God. But uh, that is funny. What do you think of the idea of, you know, a temporary uh, situation here where they'd be playing professional sports without fans? How do you think that affects it? Does that, that like, let's say the NFL did that. You and I wouldn't 
miss any games because there weren't fans in the stadium. But does that, do you have any thoughts on how weird that is, or does it affect the level of competition? Do you think because there's not that motivation there, or anything? So let me rephrase your question about the tree falling in the woods. Mm. Approximately 45 million people attended baseball games last year. Mm. Did it affect you and me at all? No, no. So I think the question is, how many people will watch on television, right? And I, I agree, if they can pull it off, please. Even we, we get at least one baseball story every two years that we can use, so please hold the season. Yeah, Anything to break the ice. It'll be like uh, when the NHL used that glow-in-the-dark puck, and everyone can always refer back to the era, like, remember when they used the glow-in-the-dark puck? And then kids eventually, or, or us, will be able to refer back to this. And, like, remember when they played without fans because of the uh, the whole COVID thing? That'll be a good It'll be very good weird. Well, they, that did happen. Um, no, uh, no fans th- thing? Yeah, yeah. In the last few in the last 10 years there were a couple there were some games played and I think it was Major League Baseball Swine Flu they didn't have fans Mad Cow Disease West Nile maybe maybe so you had an maybe it won't be that memorable (laughs) well like I said what do you and I know about baseball from last year and there are 45 million people in attendance yeah so is Madden football the training ground of NFL quarterbacks of the future it's a hard pivot. We're going to go straight into the last well, segment here. We can't practice. COVID. We can't practice because of COVID. Is there any advantage being that could be gained through technology? So um, we had this discussion earlier. Um, we've had it before where teams are trying to employ more virtual reality to help people practice in their off time, particularly quarterbacks, because you can put on the virtual reality helmet and actually be like playing against a defense. And my thought has always been that that's like essentially useless until they get the technology as good as they can. Because at the end of the day, if you're using VR, it's just not the same as real life. And in, in my opinion, even if you look on video games or whatever, at the end of the day, it's not always based off of like logic. It's based off of the game's coding and the rules. And once you figure out how to play the game, like I think a dude who's really good at video games could beat someone in Madden who's an experienced Madden player who just knows more football because maybe the video game guy just gets the coding and the timing of everything better, right? And so I don't think that uh, if you have that helmet on, you don't get the the randomness of people in real life so i don't know how much it helps you or not although it would help you from the standpoint of being able to identify alignments pre-snap because that you can completely program and you could see how a quarterback reacts to a defensive lineman shifting and how you need to change the protections and so on and so forth now my feeling on that has changed a little bit because the vr advancements are like they're just skyrocketing they're shooting up so maybe people will have realistic practicing with a VR helmet on. But until that time, if that time isn't already here, I don't know why we hadn't thought of this before, but like I was listening to part of my take the other day and who was on there? Um, Danny Woodhead, the old little running back from the Patriots and the Chargers and a couple other teams. And they were asking him, how is this lockout going to affect players' preparation 
for the season for training camp and he said you know there was a lockout in 2011 season but the Patriots players all knew that they had to bust ass no matter what because Belichick was going to kill them whether it was a training camp or not and he thinks that that gave them a distinct advantage uh, in terms of readiness versus other teams who maybe didn't know if they're going to you know have training camp or not but the difference in that era was that you could still go get trained by trainers and stuff like that. Right now, it's just all up to the individual self-discipline of the, the players to be able to get these workouts in themselves. Now, or just to break the rules, you know, if you're Dak Prescott or whatever, and go work out with people. But one thing that we're talking about is like, oh, can you play Madden to get experience? And, and it got me thinking like, wow, if you could, I don't know why they haven't done this already, but if a team could work with the Madden programmers to program their playbook, particularly for the offense, into Madden, that could be really valuable, especially the fact that the age of NFL players now grew up playing video games. They like playing video games. They like playing Madden. They like playing NBA 2K. They, um, so like, they can actually go and learn these verbose, extensive playbooks via Madden, and that would be, that definitely translates to the practice field. Now, you would have to get it coded so that Madden could have your team-specific playbook in there. It's going to be much more complicated than, you know, the consumer version, and you would have to make sure that that version didn't get out to other teams somehow, or that players didn't take it if they got traded or whatever, but that's been the first example that I've thought of in a while where I'm like, that's where you could get meaningful work done because not everybody's Peyton Manning and they can just sit there with a playbook and memorize it that way. And this, you'd be surprised how you know hooked you can get on Madden and how much you can learn from it. I wouldn't be. I watched you grow up in this house. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I wish and you were now. to coding school. I know. Exactly. Uh, what did you complain about? Hey, look, I... Um, I successfully transferred the website to a new platform, and it is up. You're going to find all our podcasts there and a stream from Twitter and a stream from Instagram, which we got to do a little post this week. So visit the website, www.steelersoutpost.com. Check us out on Instagram, at Steelers Outpost. Hit us up on Twitter, at Steelers Outpost. Or shoot us an email at SteelersOutpost at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Until next week, go Steelers. Okay, bye-bye. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu 
slash podcast. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org.